Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. Hey, everybody. Mark here. And before we jump into today's conversation, I'd just like to say thank you for your constant support and generosity towards the online ministry here at Menlo Church. I get so encouraged every Sunday when I'm hopping on menlo.online.church or YouTube to watch alongside our community there where we're watching the service live stream, sharing prayer requests with each other and engaging with community and encouragement. That has been such a bright spot in my week and always leaves me feeling encouraged. I'm also super grateful for those that have texted in questions and comments for our fill in the blank podcast, as well as our Menlo Midweeks. And this is all made possible by your continuous generosity. So thank you for partnering with the life change that is happening through these podcasts and through this ministry. And to continue to support or to support for the first time, all you have to do is go to menlo.church slash give and designate your gift to the online ministry here. Thank you very much. I'm super encouraged. And now let's get into today's conversation. Welcome to Menlo Midweek, everybody. My name is Mark. And my name is Jessica. And we have our new senior pastor, Woo. Phil Eubank. Yay. What's up, everybody? We asked our substitute teachers last week, how yes. long do we say new? I was just wondering that same question. And they said <laughs> after this series. So sounds, only okay. two, only great. one more week. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are a, a week into the, to the newest kind of a thing, and we're already getting recycled material because if you have been listening to our Phil cast, then the Mario Party joke that of your sermon shouldn't have <laughs> yeah. been shouldn't have been yeah, news to you been new. yeah yeah i thought that was a great comparison of like mario stands the test of time i don't even remember the rest of it but the story was really good good, good. <laughs> well it was really like it was kind of a two for one because yeah. i introed it as like a thing that lasts a long time yeah. in a culture that doesn't right but then at the end of the talk i brought it back to say yeah. Hey, Wells thinks that he's playing, but he has a fake controller, kind of like we right. all think we control our life, but actually we don't. Yeah. Um, and in a, I don't know, probably several years ago now, I was teaching a similar concept. And Grayer, our oldest, who is now 13, was also very young at the time. And he loved those shopping carts that look like cars in the front of them. Oh, yeah. So oh, the yeah. kids can get in. Mm-hmm. And so I actually had one of those on stage with me when I taught at that time. And I talked about how passionate he gets when he's trying to control it and he's convinced when you go down a specific aisle it's because he turned the wheel inside of this car (laughs) and so then i like turned the cart to the side and the wheels of the car actually don't even touch the ground and so it was this it was a similar point right that how passionate and crazy do we get to want our way in something and god is like you're in the shopping cart you're not controlling things Mm. like just let me have it so i think you know little kids give you lots of little um spotlights little moments to be able to see that same principle over and over again so yeah and mario does stand the test of time that's what i was Absolutely. thinking because they literally just opened in universal studios a, like a mario world section sure they did yeah. and there's another movie coming out so it was right. a great comparison. i did have some folks from the legacy service in menlo park come up to me and say what is mario mm. uh because they just don't know oh, i mean yeah. they just don't have a frame of reference so i was like oh i should have said like it's a video game or whatever you know i should have clarified a little bit more so you know, live and learn. <laughs> What's a video game? Yeah, yeah, yep. Oh, like the Atari. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a Chat GPT reference this week. So 
Oh, it's going to be, we're just going to be lots of blank stares in that room. It's going to be great. Yeah. I think there might be more of them that have heard of chat GPT than we think. Cause it's like, so like, it's so in the culture right now. Yeah, Hmm. We'll find out. We'll find out. Maybe we'll use it together. (laughs) Well, I was very excited about this being your first message and your first series. And as I was thinking about this, you mentioned on our fill in the blank podcast or fill in the you blank, whatever (laughs) language you'd like, that you've been teaching since you were like 19 years old, 16 years old. 16 years old, yeah. Do you remember any one particular message that you might've preached in that first, I don't know, year of you preaching? Yeah, I mean, I the very first talk that I gave was from First John that God is love. And it was just the the most, the worst violation of a biblical text ever. <laughs> I had never been trained to preach, but I was allowed. So not much has changed. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> okay. I had been allowed to preach like on a Sunday morning and my pastor was very kind, offered great feedback, but uh, yeah, it was, it was not my finest hour. And I had been teaching before that in other contexts as well. Uh, so, I mean, I, at a certain point, you kind of remember that key principle or you remember that takeaway or you remember that illustration. You don't remember, I don't remember full talks like that. Um, but I felt like when I got to undergrad, there was a lot of, um, a lot of dropping some bad habits um, when I was around really good communicators. And one of those, I had grown up in a Southern Baptist church and everybody that was a big deal in that world they had a different preaching voice than they did speaking voice. Mm. So when they got yeah. up on stage, they would all of a sudden sort of power up and it was mm. almost like a character that they played. And mm. I don't think I was nearly as bad as some of the folks that I'd listened to, but I definitely had a different uh, voice, like a different tone in the way mm. that I spoke. And so uh, I just remember our president in undergrad, shout out to Dr. Stoll at Moody Bible Institute, he uh, was in a small gathering with some resident assistants, and he said to us, hey, if you preach differently than you speak, stop doing that. Mm. And uh, that was all it took. I just, everything changed. So, yeah, I think there were just little habits like that, that, that God, you know, like some sandpaper had to yeah. sand off. Definitely. Do you remember what that voice sounded like? Really don't. I think I've suppressed <laughs> it at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. More intense. Okay. More intense. Awesome. Not yeah. like Kermit the Frog or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. sure. <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or Mickey. I could do like, hi guys, how you doing? That one's, when you have little That's kids, good, that one's pretty good. That was a good one. Nice. And this is our warnings in the waiting series. And this is something that you are driving. It is like your first time preaching, your first kind of mini series, you know, part one of two, two weekends that we're doing. How did you land at Warnings in the Waiting? It's about when we focus on things, and sometimes that creates blind spots in our lives. Why is that the flagship Phil Eubank, Menlo Church? (laughs) That's it. Yeah, I think that the anticipation for anything in life really does create these ways that we just miss some things we shouldn't miss. And I think that principle for Menlo, for all of us, for me moving and waiting to speak for more than a month and the expectation of Menlo as a community waiting for several years for this season, it's really easy for us to place in that basket so many different expectations. And I think these two weeks, I'm trying to emphasize sort of the extremes. Hmm. And so what does this mean if out of the last couple of years ago, man, we're just ready for revival. We're ready for the seats to be full. We're ready for this thing to be true in our neighborhood. We're ready for up and to the right, right? What does that look like? And then this next week, 
uh, what does it look like when we go, oh, we are finally ready for the kind of spiritual depth that I've assumed I'm going to get or the kind of fill-in-the-blank spiritual renewal that I think that uh, when we take those things in isolation, I think as Christians, the two categories theologically that's typically been divided into is evangelism and discipleship, and they're connected. I would say that evangelism is actually a subset of discipleship when we do it well, and trying to help people understand from both vantage points, both extremes, that there is no revival without renewal, and there is no renewal without revival. They're inseparable. Evangelism and discipleship are designed to be interconnected. And so being able to talk about that over the course of a couple weeks felt like it might help us temper our expectations together mm-hmm. for the first few months. So that's why I did it. Yeah. And so for those that missed your message this week, could you give us a little summary and then we'll jump in from there? For sure. So this week we talked about the idea that if we want revival without renewal, it will always lead to compromised faith. And so simply put, we will pivot and change our core theology over time if the goal is just how do we get more people into the fold, and I, I paralleled it to sales, eventually the product I'm selling will change just a little bit. And I think we're living in a culture that if you roll the clock back several decades, you might be able to make a case that the moral standards and norms in America, in some cases, not every case, but in some cases, they looked more similar to a biblical ethic. And again, that's not not everywhere. Uh, certainly wouldn't want to roll the clock back into the 50s and have that conversation related to civil mm-hmm. rights or women's mm-hmm. rights. Uh, but I do think that when we talk about some of those norms, it felt as though the Christian ethic and the broader cultural ethic were more similar. Uh, and so I think sometimes we can get into this bind where as those cultural changes happened and we've watched church lose influence, which is exactly what we've watched, the tendency is to go, okay, so do we need to change the core ethic or teaching or orthodoxy of the Bible in order to retain or regain some of that cultural momentum? And uh, I talked about especially progressive Christianity, which is, that's exactly what progressive Christianity is doing, where it's taking uh, some of the core teachings about Jesus and saying, well, what if, what if those weren't true? What if it was the universal Christ? What if the Bible didn't have to be inspired and errant and fallible. What if, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, maybe you've created something that's more compatible, but it's not very helpful because I would argue the Spirit of God is not in it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's a little bit of the dance of trying to highlight this is a problem that we are all susceptible to, certainly in a, in a wildly post-Christian culture as the Bay Area is and as the West is becoming more broadly. Yeah. And you kicked off your message with addressing Menlo Church and saying, hey, this, this is, I'm speaking to a community that is formed, that's respectful, that's thoughtful. How did that feel for you as, you know, that was kind of your first thing before you even jumped into your sermon, you already were, were talking to the community that you're now coming over and pastoring? Yeah, I think it is a lot different. The The way you reference the church that you're a part of is different. So for a long time in the process with Menlo, when I would say my church, I meant a church in Colorado that I was a pastor of, mm-hmm. and your church meant Menlo. Mm-hmm. And then even now, I was, I was texting someone back in Colorado today, and I was talking about your church as mm-hmm. a church in Colorado and our church here at Menlo. And that, I mean, I think that's just going to take time. You know, yeah. it's, it's muscle memory that, that develops over time, but it was um, humbling and honoring and uh, really, really special. I think if you 
have an opportunity to serve at Menlo in any capacity, as a volunteer, as a staff member, and you stand in front of a community like ours, and specifically when I uh, stand on a stage at Menlo on one of our campuses, if you don't feel a sense of, who am I to do this? I think you maybe aren't paying close enough attention. Mm. And so Mm. to think about 150 almost years of legacy and faithfulness of men and women who have just stood the test of time, nobody's perfect, uh, but to be able to watch the faithfulness of that and to go, all right, God, this is, this is our season to do this together was such a special kind of first time, hopefully Lord willing of many. So, yeah, it was especially exciting for me, especially hearing the, um, like applause that you got. I don't yeah. know if, how if it sounded loud online and I know if it sounds loud online, it must've been pretty loud in the room. Mm-hmm. I think Dave actually just dubbed that in. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, a laugh, it was dead laugh track and applause. Yeah. You got it. There were crickets. It was really awkward. No, mm-hmm. folks so were Dave very, very that. gracious. Very gracious. <laughs> All the yeah. people are CGI actually. It's yeah. just an empty room. <laughs> and not to throw shade at the 1030, but I think legacy was uh, actually Ooh. louder. So just, they were, you know, yeah. Hey, and you, you mentioned church back home, church here. And that was actually one of the examples that you use was talking about this analogy of a staged home. And so mm-hmm. did you land on that because of the move or is that just, you know, kind of what was fresh in your brain? And, and that's. Yeah, I think that especially in seasons of change, anytime that as a communicator, you can root it in honest contemporary experience, you get the dual benefit of helping people know a little bit more about you or your family or your own story, right. your situation. And humanizing yourself, because I, in case you didn't know this, I'm a human, flawed, broken, <laughs> living out normal circumstances of life, as well as teeing up the talk. Uh, but yeah, I think that especially when I was thinking about, hey, what are those places where we have, as a culture said, it's kind of okay for things to be hollow like this. And that idea of staging from current circumstances came to mind. And Unfortunately, I think if we're honest, we can all think about times in our spiritual lives, myself included, where you go, you know what? Uh, my life looks more like that staged house than I want to admit. Like mm-hmm. all the furniture is there, but nobody lives in there. <laughs> so, you <laughs> know, like mm-hmm. my spiritual journey has um, become something that because I'm too busy, because my life feels too crowded for any number of different reasons, we let that happen. And hopefully it's for a short time. And then the Lord kind of calls us back to what staying connected to him more closely looks like. But uh, hopefully that was something that we could all think about without feeling shamed by. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And then part of, part of feeling connected, part of growing deeper roots is having space and places and length of time, because he also made an analogy of your old track home or where you're living in, in Colorado and how it was newly planted trees and they had shallow roots right. as opposed to here, which is maybe, I think you, you said like, even though the streets aren't, aren't um, wide enough, right. yes. you felt like, you know, am I supposed to be riding a horse here? There's life, there's abundance, there's, there's right. deeper roots. And Although how, some of those roots, have we talked about that on a podcast? Some of those roots pushed through the sewage pipe out the front of our house. Did we talk about this? I don't think so. No. So the first week that we were in the house here, oh gosh, uh, literally they had to tear up in our entire front yard oh. because we had like <laughs> sewage coming up in our showers because it was like the roots had grown into and someone hadn't lived there for a while. So mm. uh, there are you know pros and cons. Pros yeah. and cons. Roots yeah. roots push other stuff out of the way. So mm-hmm. oh. it made me think of actually um, up near like Sacramento. There's a bunch of little towns up there that are very much all of the houses look exactly the same. And I was like, yeah, clearly hasn't been up there yet. Yeah. 
haven't been up there. <laughs> There's not really a need to go up there, honestly. <laughs> oh, good. Shoot. If you live up there, God Shout loves out. you. Just kidding. One of my best friends lives up there. Oh, shoot. We've got right. some friends that are online that are up there. That's yeah. good. But Sorry, more guys. in like the mountainy parts, like yeah. going up to Tahoe. Um, you, next part of your message was about kind of the world and the pitch from the world that you will be liberated. And you used a John Mark Comer quote, who we love, um, talking about how the self is a new God. Uh, I thought that was a, a really great point and a great topic to insert because it kind of sets the framework for the trajectory of what we hope to happen. You know, not not since you've been here as a marker, but just who we are as a church and right. what we're about. Yeah, and I think that the you know, anytime you're anytime that I'm reading something or I'm resourcing a talk from a particular voice, like I'm oh I'm I'm looking at this for this part. There's always more that you want to say, but mm -hmm. you're, you're like, I'm not going to just read this person's book for you. So anytime I use a quote, I'm kind of thinking about it like a breadcrumb. Like I want to give people breadcrumbs mm. to go chase something. And something that uh, John Mark said pretty close to that in the same book, he said, uh, amid the revolution, the questions nobody seems to be even asking are, is this making us better people, more loving people, or even happier people? Are we thriving in a way that we weren't prior to our liberation? And I think, um, uh, you know, I think it's, um, who is it? I think it's Tim Keller that says, are we being as skeptical of our skepticism as we are of our faith? And I think as Christians mm. in our moment mm. to be able to go, it's easy for me to deconstruct. It's easy for me to wonder, is this core principle or idea of faith true? I think we spend far less time, even as Christians, saying, are these culturally assumed truths true and helpful? Uh, because I think if we applied the same level of scrutiny to that, kind of the secular idea that we do our own faith, we may mm -hmm. be surprised by how little it holds up. So um, I think it was hopefully helpful for people to, uh, to think about, you know what, that is the choice. Like I'm either dying to myself um, or I am dying hoping that myself can hold its own weight, and it can't. And I think we all see that, we all feel that, uh, but I think our culture is just sort of doubling down on this theory that the scriptures have told us for thousands of years won't work, and we are watching it fail in our moment, but there is no other answer. Like when you remove God, self sort of has to rise up to become God. Mm -hmm. What um, book was that from, from John Mark Comer? Uh, I think that's Live No Lies, so uh, I should have. I had the quote here for this moment, but I didn't put what book it was from. So you were leaving breadcrumbs, so I was helping people. Yeah, yeah. To I think it's I think it's "Live No Lies." So mm -hmm. the two that he's most known for are "Live No Lies" and "The Ruthless Elimination mm -hmm. of Hurry." So I think that's he's got some other stuff, but those are the two most mm -hmm. prominent ones. So big fan of "Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." Yeah, yeah. I like it and I hate it at the same time. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Shout out John Mark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you then later talk about how revival without renewal leads to compromised faith. And that's when you inserted your Mario Party example. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that in case someone missed that? Yeah, so we play Mario Party at our house. We have four controllers. Alyssa and our oldest are very competitive. Maisie and Leo are very sweet. They do not win, but they're very sweet. <laughs> and, they, and they know how to play the game. And then Wells, our three-year-old, uh, he wants to play. He's very competitive. He'll get very animated. But what he doesn't know is the little gray controller that we give him is broken. It doesn't work. Mm. And so it looks exactly like the other controllers do. Um, 
and he gets really mad. Like if he's convinced that he's lost, he will be very angry. And if he's convinced that he's won, I mean, he's like, what's up, bro? And he's three. And we're, none of us have taught him this phrase. None of us. I'm like, "Did are you a three-year-old bro? Like what is happening to you? Um, and he is not controlling any of it. And so just this parallel of how often do we, with probably far less control than we think we have, have a level of emotional response that's maybe not healthy? Uh, or maybe do we go, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to uh, distort my view of faith to inflate my artificial sense of control? And I think probably the answer is, yeah, we probably all do that. So, What contributes to him thinking he's winning or losing? That's what I was wondering too. Yeah, I don't know that there really is anything. I think he decides. <laughs> You're not just whispering like, "Come on, bud, you can do a little better than that." No, no. I think. Hey, you won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that, what I would do every time. I think sometimes his siblings do that, uh, but I also think he picks a character. So he'll be like, "I'm Yoshi," right? And so then he just follows Yoshi, and he's mm. a, he assumes he's controlling Yoshi. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked me, "Hey, why don't why do you make him play with a broken controller?" Which was a very sweet and compassionate question. <laughs> Uh, and the answer is because if we give him a working controller, he will mess up the game for everyone. So he'll like pause, <laughs> get to the main menu, like mm-hmm. it, it will be a disaster. So that's mm-hmm. why we give him a non-functional controller. Of course. So, of course. As someone who's the youngest child, I kind of take offense to that, but it's okay. I'm the youngest also. <laughs> okay. I'm the youngest of four. So <laughs> I'm only the youngest of two, but my brother always played video games and never wanted me to play with mm, him because uh, he thought I would ruin it. Yeah. It's okay. I've been to therapy. Good, good. <laughs> you can play Mario Party with our kids anytime. I would love to. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually played Mario Party. If they Party. give you the gray controller, though, <laughs> you, you know. Say. I know. Can I know you imagine? Is. I'm like, <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'm really good at this. Yeah, you're crushing it. That'd be amazing, actually. <laughs> really you're like in the background just cracking up. <laughs> oh. That's good. That is good. Yeah. Yep. And then you close out your talk with the Stockdale paradox, mm-hmm. which is basically conflating optimism and pessimism, the bad or like the extremes of both and how if you gravitate towards one or the other, the traps that that may have. Instead, we need to view life as being honest about today, yet still having belief in the future. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that if we, if we are willing to deal with the brutal realities of today, even if they're hard, then a hopeful future exists. But Mm. if out of optimism or pessimism or some distortion of our present reality, even if we believe for a greater future, we will never experience it. And so I think that uh, oftentimes in our own lives, the biggest things that we want to do are acknowledging some core realities away from being experienced, right? We go, I really want to experience, you know, this is kind of the time of the year that we think about it because most people have already, by the time we hit February, failed their New Year's resolutions. And there are probably some core things that we were unwilling to change. Hmm. Some things hmm. that it was like, I really want this to be true in my life. Yeah. I really want this pattern, this habit, this routine. And while maybe we wanted to do some habit replacements, usually we always think about additive. We go, what do I do in addition? And we were, ex- we were living life with no margin heading into January. And then with life with no margin, we tried to add something and hmm. shockingly it didn't work. And really the, the change that most of us need to make is what are the steps we need to do to have margin in our life? And then those habits or those adjustments we want to make, there's space to add them. And so uh, whatever that thing is, is a part of that. I think that happens at an individual level. And I think candidly for any church in America, it's happening for any church and it's happening for Menlo. For us to be able to say on the other side of COVID, on the other side of extended transition, what are those core realities that we have to be honest about? 
so that we can seize what's on the other side. 2019 is not coming back. Mm. Um, and I think that that's actually a really good thing because you know what we were all asking in 2019? God, would you slow it down? <laughs> and God was like, what if I stopped it for like <laughs> multiple years? Yeah. And what's so crazy for us, right, is that we go, okay, God, almost immediately we were all going, we want normal back. And normal wasn't working. Mm-hmm. But you know, by June of 2020, we're going normal, 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 normal. And here we are in February of 23 going normal, 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 normal. And I think that's a mistake. I think that what we should be asking God, okay, God, you gave us a once in a generation reset. Mm. What does the next need to look like? We mm. knew that next was coming. It mm. accelerated. I, my, my theory of COVID, and it's not just mine, but uh, I don't think COVID did anything new or different. I just think it made a lot of things that were happening happen a lot faster and mm. lots of things that were going to take decades happened in days. And so how do we adjust to that in the way we think about church and mm-hmm. specifically at Menlo? And so Stockdale Paradox is helpful for me as we have kind and clear conversations about, you know, difficult things at. Yeah. I think that's just so on point for Menlo in general and you know, obviously with COVID, but all of the, you know, ups and downs of the last couple of years, uh, just being able to be on the, I mean, hopefully on the other side, but just to, I think a lot of us, whether on staff or in the congregation, just have this like expectation of whether or not it's bring back 2019, it's just good is coming because X, Y, and Z. And not to say that it's not, but just the reality of things are going to be different. Things are, might be a little harder at first. And we'll get to a spot where we all feel, hopefully feel better. But when we're rooted in, I mean, even the way you closed your sermon of like, I am not the savior of Mm -hmm. Menlo Church. Mm -hmm. He has been here the whole time. I like, oof, I was like, yes. Like just, it's such a good reminder that even the last couple of years, I mean, just like a nod to our online ministry of how many people are still around because that we had something like that. And because Jesus was present in the online ministry and everything that we've been doing the last couple of years. So one of my favorite things in the last few weeks. So Alyssa and I are attending starting point, mm. which has been great uh, right here in Menlo park. And uh, I know that's happened in a number of our campuses. Uh, and we sat down at a table, shout out to Beth Siebel, who is running the table. Fantastic. And there are um, some other folks at the table and we were having conversations and there was a couple that moved here from south korea and they were just getting established just getting plugged in had only been here a few weeks Mm. and they did not know who i was oh wow and then the other couple did not know who i was and i was like this is awesome (laughs) because i think how many people over the last handful of years have met jesus have been growing in jesus Mm -hmm. have found meaningful community and guess what it didn't take didn't take big old bad Phil to be here to do that. Yeah. Like it was a team of people and mm-hmm. Menlo Church is the ecclesia. It's the assembly. It's not an individual personality. And so I just think that for lots of churches that navigated this season well of COVID and all the things that came with it, that is such a crucial lesson. And so, um, so yeah, so proud of the team, so proud of uh, Menlo for, for walking through some really hard challenges. And so hopefully now there's going to be lots of really fun things to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But I think when, uh, when we do kind of grow on the other side of this, not the political sense of this, but how do we build back better? And uh, to a place where we go, what uh, if you could recast an org chart, if you could think about what effective ministry looks like into the future, 
you get a chance to do that in a way right now that we may not get a chance to do again for another five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about that for the target of helping people find and follow Jesus in the Bay Area and beyond right now uh, is a pretty unique gift that I hope we steward well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had about 30-ish minutes for mm -hmm. this message. 32, I think is 32. what I took. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Is that, is that right? Do I remember that? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Jessica's like, she's like, shave it down. Shave it, <laughs> trim it down. Off, hey, I buddy. thought it was all great. Yeah, sure, Just sure. getting some feedback yeah. from campuses that uh -huh. their services went a little long, uh -huh. but it's well, great. If you could have gone a little bit longer than 32 <laughs> minutes. Sure, and I could have, yeah. just so I'm we're sure all clear. Yeah, yeah. What would you have That's liked to be, have included? Do you know this about me? My like regular run time, do you know this in Colorado? Was usually between 38 and 42 minutes. Yeah. And okay. so 30 is good. Like, I'm, I think it's a great length, uh, and I'm trying to discipline myself to get down to it. So, <laughs> well, and to be fair, the 32 included the 20 second bumper video and your prayer. At the oh, end. see? Oh, look at yeah. that. Oh, we're doing fine. So, really, it was like yeah, yeah. 31 and a half. Yeah. yeah perfect. <laughs> so, next week, prepare for 35 minutes, yeah, everyone. It's great. It's great. It's great. <laughs> well, I think what helps me is I manuscript my talks. And so I'm getting better at understanding the length that my manuscript needs to be mm. in this context to parallel it. But Alyssa was also like, you were talking faster because you know you're on time, you have time. So <laughs> I got oh, some, interesting. I got some work to do. Um, yeah. So there are a couple John uh, Tyson quotes, uh, and I do have the books for these references actually um, that I would have loved to have included and talked about. But I think this idea of, well, what if we just adjusted what we believed a little bit to be able to coincide with culture? Wouldn't that help, you know? And uh, so one of his quotes, John Tyson is a pastor with a cool accent in New York City. He bought me a coffee once. Did he really? Yeah. That's amazing. I know. Ugh, oh, what a guy. Way to go. You're famous. Uh, and so in a book, he wrote, Beautiful Resistance, uh, The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. Uh, he said, the joy and satisfaction that come from being faithful to Christ will always be richer than the mere ease that comes from drifting along the cultural currents. Mm. And uh, I, I just think like saying that stuff out loud yeah. doesn't mean that we're not kind. It doesn't mean mm. that we're not compassionate. It doesn't even mean that we're not trying to be compelling. I even tried to make all those start with a k sound. Um, Matt Summers would be proud. Yeah. But I think that uh, <laughs> somehow in the middle of that, not not losing ourselves, And I think that there is this feeling on so many levels of, hey, well, if you're going to hold to biblical truths on these things, you're on the wrong side of history. Like we've all heard some version of that. And being able to go, this is 2000 years in for biblical Christianity. Um, and that is not to say that Christianity has gotten it right for all 2000 years. That's not to say that there are not areas that we should continue to be growing and learning, but to say, we don't get to remake biblical authority. Mm. Like, we're actually going to lean further into it, even as the culture diverts away from it, uh, I think is really, really important. And uh, we certainly get that example from uh, Daniel and his friends in Babylon. And I think our experience is probably far more similar to that than we think. We are not Israeli Jewish residents in the peak of the Southern Kingdom in the Old Testament. We are, uh, we are foreigners in a foreign land. We have our primary citizenship in heaven, mm -hmm. and we should not be surprised when our citizenship in this kingdom has fracture points. That should not surprise us. Uh, but then there was this other line that Tyson um, referenced from the book, uh, The Burden is Light, Liberating Your Life from the Tyranny of Performance and Success. He said, by 2006, one out of four college students agreed with the majority of the items on a standard measure of narcissistic traits. Pride makes us reflect on our own image in our heads all the time. And as Paul reminds us, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers 
of themselves. And mm-hmm. I just think I'm going to talk about that a little bit this week too, around mm-hmm. pride, but uh, we are being culturally conditioned every single day mm-hmm. to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Mm-hmm. And we were warned about it. We were warned about it 2000 years ago and we are just ramping it up more and more. And what are the spiritually deforming aspects of that direction? Man. So those oh. are just a couple things. I'm excited for next week. Sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was writing this morning and I was like, I still need to talk about yesterday. Like, hang on to that. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to live into it a little bit. It's good. Awesome. Well, Phil, any lingering thoughts, anything else as you're talking about renew- revival or renewal that you're chewing on that might not make it to your message? I think that overall, this last week is not what I think the average person at Menlo that's wrestling is thinking about. I don't think the average person at Menlo is going, I want revival without renewal. I, I think most people at Menlo are going, uh, what does spiritual formation look like for mm-hmm. me? What mm-hmm. are the practices and habits that I need to do? And so I, I would just say, if you're listening to this and you're praying and preparing to gather this next weekend, this next weekend, the challenge of wanting renewal without revival uh, I think is probably far more true for our community. That's probably the thing that would be more likely that we would wrestle with. And so um, just just being able to name that and say, mm-hmm. hey, the first part of really getting better is acknowledging when you have a problem. And this isn't an everybody all the time problem. This is just a propensity for us as a community. When you're this thoughtful and you go, I'm the smartest person in the room. I know all the things. I'm going to be intellectually honest with my faith. but what about your child that doesn't walk with the Lord anymore? Mm. Are you still praying for them? Have you kind of given that up, right? Mm. Or what about that coworker or neighbor that doesn't know Jesus? Have you decided, I'm going to talk about this statistic from before uh, COVID that Barna did where around half of millennials said that they believed it was morally wrong to share your faith with hopes that someone would change their opinion or position. And uh, I think that's only gotten worse on the other side of COVID, right? We're all so scared. And I think that um, I'll use a quote from Spurgeon. He says, um, every Christian is either an evangelist or an imposter. Hmm. And so what does it look Hmm. like for us to have kind and loving conversations with people who don't know Jesus and not put our relationship at stake if they don't believe believe the same or agree with us, but to say, do people know what we believe? Do we, do people know that that we think it could be true in their life too, could help them. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we really believe it helps life flourish and not flounder, we should want them to experience it. So uh, I think, it, you know, if you, like I said, if you're listening to this and kind of praying up for the next week, I would just say, Lord, would you keep our hearts soft that we would be able to hear from you? And if, um, you know, kind of sp- the spiritual version of yoga has become the replacement for me for the passion in my belly to believe that you can do something in our area, our region, around our campus, in my family, at my workplace, around my friends at school, I would just say, let the Lord reignite that fire in you because it's men and women and boys and girls and students who have believed that God could do that, that have watched him actually do that. And so I'm, I'm praying for that. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for being here. Of course. Your time. Looking forward to next week and looking forward to chatting with you on the Phil Bank. Did we do a sponsor this time? Do we need to do that or is that just for the other one? Do you got one for us? Uh, Cheryl go- tried to do one or did she, she did one. Yeah. Did she? Oh, she tried to do one. Well, I used to say she said something, but I don't know if yeah, we yeah. ever heard from anybody. So I mentioned that to you guys beforehand that we went to Half Moon Bay mm-hmm. as a family on Friday and uh, we went to Taste Cafe. I went and looked it up to make sure oh, I got the name right. Okay. okay. Uh, and it's a little breakfast spot. In downtown Half Moon Bay. Love it. So they were great. It was very fun. Great, right. great breakfast. Maisie said, um, 
I think she said that it was her favorite restaurant. So wow. that's a big deal. So okay. way to go, Taste Cafe. Taste Maisie Cafe. is a very picky 11-year-old, so cleared that bar. What did she get? Uh, she got, what did she get? Crepes. Oh, yeah. Yum. And then she had she had some of my bacon, and I think she had somebody something of somebody else's. <laughs> when you have little kids, yeah. all of your food is kind of up for grabs. <laughs> right. And if you don't know that yet, as your kids start to like eat more, I would just say probably order more than you think you're going to mm. eat as an adult. Mm. Because you are actually not going to eat it. Yeah. So that's the, it just becomes, especially with Wells, a lot of times we won't even order him a plate. Because yeah. when it's his. You just give him a fake plate that looks like a controller. Right, exactly. And then you just <laughs> <can't> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. When it's his, he just weirdly no, no, a lot of times doesn't eat it. Uh, but when you when he sees food on your plate, he's like, oh, that's all mine. So, oh my God. Yeah. Well, there's your practical application <laughs> for this week, yeah, everyone. Order more food than you need. Yep. That's Thanks, exactly Phil. Right. That's See you great. guys. Bye. See Bye. everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. And our hope is that this helps you connect deeper to Menlo Church throughout the week. We believe church doesn't just happen on Sundays. And this is just one of the ways you can connect with us and grow in your faith whenever and wherever you're listening. 